When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ed Robertson, hoping you're enjoying this encore presentation of our conversation with Ron Masek that originally aired in October 2012. Ron Masek passed away Thursday, October 20th at the age of 86. Hi, this is Ernest Harden Jr. Marcus from the Jefferson. And you're listening to TV Confidential. Well, all right. Folks, we have said this before, but it is certainly worth repeating. The fun thing about doing this program is not just the opportunity to meet and talk to some of our favorite television actors, but to learn about some of the things that they have done that I didn't know about and that you may not have known about as well. That is certainly the case with our next guest, Ron Masek. Many of us remember Ron for playing Sheriff Mort Metzger on the long-running CBS series Murder, She Wrote, as well as his appearances in such motion pictures as Ice Station Zebra, Confessions of a Young Stockbroker, and Harper Valley PTA, not to mention his many, many television appearances on such shows as The Rockford Files, Quincy, Bewitched, Get Smart, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, and Columbo. But what you may not know about Ron is that in addition to his many, many film and television roles, he has an extensive background as a stage performer, including his one-man show on Mark Twain, which we'll talk about in just a second, uh, as well as a, an extensive background as an impressionist and master of ceremonies for many charity events, including Special Olympics and the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Ron is also the author of I've Met All My Heroes from A to Z, a really Really nice book about Ron's life and show business that he tells through stories of his encounters with many famous people. Ron Masek, welcome to TV Confidential. Well, thank you. What's so confidential about it? Everyone's listening. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you try to... You, you, you try to come up with a catchy title so that people remember you, although we get a lot of flack because when people find out the name of the program is... TV Confidential, they immediately think about that you know, tabloidy magazine in the 50s, which was, you know, the celebrity-driven and not so positive. Whereas well, we, you know what? I, and I'm old enough to remember that. Yeah. I remember they got sued twice. Uh, yeah. But anyway, that's, that's a subject for another conversation. Uh, Ron, your, your book is not a typical Hollywood story. In fact, it is probably one of the most self-effacing books that I have read in a long time. And what I mean by that is that you... You're a very successful actor. I mean, you have pretty much worked nonstop for, you know, more than 40 years, yet it is clear that the people you write about in I've Met All My Heroes from A to Z are people that you admire and, and I think 
in many respects, people that you are in awe of? Well, I, would, well, I admire them. I, I have never really been in awe of anybody, but I, I re, respect is a better word than being in awe. I'll give you that. <laughs> I, yeah, the people I respect an awful lot for what they did and what they brought to this world and, and, and to, uh, to my life. When did you first decide that you wanted to be a performer? Oh, God, I was class clown in school. You know, I was the show-off. Uh, and in, in sports, my, my older brother was four years older than I was, so in order to hang around with those guys and play ball with those guys, I had to do something a little better than, than, than the rest of them. So I would practice harder and try to do it a little uh, more showy if I could. You mm-hmm. know, if somebody could catch it with two hands, I wanted to catch it with one hand. That kind of a thing. If somebody could make a 40-foot basket, I wanted to make a 50-foot basket. So I, I just uh, I decided I, I liked it. But I decided for sure that I wanted to be an entertainer when I saw the Jolson story ah. with Larry Park. Mm-hmm. When did you first you know, realize, hey, I, I can do this acting thing for a living? I mean, well, I mean it was, you know, when we would hang around the corner. I, I, whatever show I would see, whatever movie I would see, I'd mm-hmm. come back and tell all the guys all about it. I'd tell the whole darn story. And then in high school, they, they asked me to do a couple of plays, which I did. I got very serious about it in college. And I had a marvelous director named Adrian Rayner. Mm-hmm. He was a protege of John Gielgud and a graduate of RADA. And yet he believed in what you know was happening at the time with the studio and Brando and Dean and Montgomery Clift and all of that. So he, he talked both ways. And we created the Do It School of Acting, which is mine. The Do It School of Acting means... Do it. If you're wrong, somebody's going to tell you. Right. So, in other words, you know, just don't think about it. Just, you know, do your best with the material you got. Oh yeah, a great story. Well, when Michael, when, 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 I can't remember the name of the movie. It was about something about a king with Sean Connery and, and Michael Caine. Oh, the man who would be king. That's, that's the one. Thank you. And the director, of course, was, was uh, John Huston. Mm-hmm. And Michael kept saying, saying to Sean, he said. He's not, he's not directing me. He's not telling me what to do. He said, well, go talk to him about it. So he walks over and he says, John, you're, you're not giving me any directions. Where you want. And he says, oh, no, my dear boy. I hired Michael Caine because I knew he, he would know what to do. Yeah. yeah That's it, pretty much what a good director does, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, give, give you the room to do your job. And if, if you need to pull back, he'll say, okay, I need you to pull back a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But they usually hire the actor that they feel can do the job. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes they make big mistakes and, and uh, fate steps in. I mean, when you stop and you think that James Dean uh, was unfortunately killed, but he had been signed to do somebody up there likes me. Now, he certainly didn't look like a prize fighter. He didn't have a, the body of a prize fighter. And Paul Newman wound up getting the role. Yeah. And created a whole new career, you know, for Paul to show his brilliance. Some people will cast whoever's hot in whatever role is there, whether they're right for it or wrong for it. I would rather see a good actor with good material, regardless of his star status. One of the fun things, uh, at least for me when it comes to thinking about your work in film and television, is that – I'll give you an example. Yeah. When I first started watching television, I saw – this is like the late 60s, early 70s. You did all those great screen gem shows. Uh, Flying Nun, Bewitched, I Dream of Genie. Right. And so... And the monkeys, don't forget the monkeys. That's right, the monkeys. <laughs> I was Count 
Dracula. That's right. Uh, so when you're first watching television, you think of, okay, there's that guy. He's always, he's do, he's always doing these comedy roles. I mean, then, then later on in the early 70s, you had that uh, show with Joyce Bullifant uh, called Love Thy Neighbor, which is a really, really funny show um, and a show that I wish the network would have uh, given another chance to because, it, as, I, as I recall, it did very well when it, when it was first on. But we, we, we were the, the highest-rated show that they forgot to put on in the fall. Yeah. But then a couple of years later, I'm watching Rockford Files, and you play a thug. Yeah. And, and on the one it's, it's a, for, for someone like me, it, when, you, when you're used to seeing someone playing comedy roles, it's kind of unusual to see them as a thug. But I would imagine as an actor – it's got to be gratifying that you're able to land roles like that because it just shows that not only you're versatile, but directors recognize that you're versatile. Well, I, I was really very lucky at it. They, they didn't. They never pigeonholed me. Mm-hmm. They never pigeonholed me. They would. Uh, they would say, "Ryan, can you? You know, you want to do this?" And I would do it. I did a my first big screen bad guy. I was a a, a drug lord. You no know, code of conduct. And Brett Michaels, you know, the the rock star. Right was the director and one of the writers of it, along with Shane Stanley, and they were actually offering me one of two roles. I was either going to play the part that Marty Sheen played, which was the cop father of Charlie, or I was going to play the bad guy. And I asked, and I told Brett, I said, if, you, if I have a choice, I'd really like to play the bad guy. And he said, why? I said, because nobody ever buys that, or nobody ever sees that side. And, you know, Mark Twain once said that uh, we were all like the moon. We all have a dark side, and uh, I got a chance to show that. Is, you, you mentioned Mark Twain. Um, yes. You did, um, and, and again, this is, this is another fun thing I learned about you. You wrote and you have performed a one-man show called At Home with Mark Twain. How? What first got you interested in Mark Twain, and when did you? What, what led you to write that one-man show? Well, we, we uh, my. Partner Vern Noble Sr. and myself uh, got to be very good friends. I, I did a, a, an infomercial for him, and we got to be very close, and he, he would let me read a lot of scripts. He was a great friend of Louis L'Amour and had a lot of wonderful Western scripts that I would read. And then he mentioned that he had this film on Mark Twain, and I read it, and I told him, I said, Vern, I said, this is the best script I've read in 30 years. I mean, it's a science fiction, action-adventure, comedy, drama, mystery with historical overtones and a little romance. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't beat that. All of those things are in this one script. So when he started putting that together and, and financing it, I had the, the advantage of the Internet, and I started doing some research on Twain. And I loved Al Holbrook's performance. Mm-hmm. But my show is, I, don't, I, don't, I think I repeat one small piece of a story that he's told in 40 years. Everything else is brand new. Everything else hasn't been seen or heard before because of the information I got off the Internet. 85% of every word I say is Twain mm-hmm. in a one-man show was either said or written by him. The other 15% I wrote to tie everything in together and make a show and a story out of it. But he was a remarkable man. I is, mean, here he is 100 years after his death, mm-hmm. releasing his the, the new autobiography, and it's already on the top 10 bestseller list. It hasn't well, been released yet. Ron, is it harder to play a historical figure or does it matter? Does it depend on, on just the material you, ha- you have to work with as an actor? It doesn't matter. It, it's the material. I mean, when I first started doing it, someone said, well, how can you do that? Hal Holbrook has been doing it for 40 years. I said, 
well, how dare anybody after Edwin Booth play Hamlet then? How dare Barrymore do that? That's right. How, how dare, you know, all the great actors do that? Uh, I will, you know, if I do it on television or if I do it in a, on Broadway, uh, sure, I'm going to be compared to Hal Holbrook. But by the same token, I judge the material. And I think the material will stand on its own because it was written by Mark Twain. That's right. You're listening to a conversation with actor Ron Masek that originally aired in October 2010 here on TV Confidential. Ron Masek, actor best known for playing Sheriff Mort Metzger on Murder, She Wrote, Love Thy Neighbor with Joyce Bullifon, plus Ron appeared on countless other network TV shows and commercials throughout his 50-year career as an actor. And at the time we spoke to Ron, we were talking about his memoir, I Met All My Heroes from A to Z, and his one-man show, At Home with Mark Twain. Ron Masek passed away Thursday, October 20th at the age of 86. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. One more item if you're a fan of Elton John or know someone who is and are looking for a gift idea this holiday season. Our friends at Quarto Books have just released Elton John at 75. Elton John at 75, a gorgeous collection of Elton John's life and art told through the lens of 75 key releases and accomplishments, including curated selection of Elton John's expertly crafted singles written by rock critic Gilbert Gar, Elton John at 75, takes a deep dive into the moments and connections that have defined Elton John's career. The book also includes live concert and candid offstage photography and memorabilia right up to this year's epic Farewell Yellow Brick Road Tour. Elton John at 75, Elton John at 75, available now wherever books are sold through our friends at Quarto Books and QuartoKnows.com. Hi, this is Joyce Bulletin. You're listening to TV Confidential. Ron, one of the fun things learning about you is not only that you love baseball, but that you could have played baseball. Well, I did play baseball, but I could have. I mean, I could have. Well, you, you could have played it. You could have played it in the professional level. Yes, I could have. When I was a kid. Uh, we didn't have the, the little league that everybody has and those kind of leagues. So I played in a semi-pro league when I was a kid in Chicago for 18 and over. But I was about two weeks away from my 16th birthday when I was scouted by Roger Swornsby. And I, you know, as I told you, I, I was kind of a show-off. I was, I was flashy. Mm-hmm. I had four of the five elements you need. The only thing I really wasn't was fast. I, I wasn't a fast runner, but I was a sneaky runner. Mm-hmm. I would steal bases... Rather than stealing it off the pitcher, I'd steal it off the catcher. When he was throwing it back to the pitcher, that's when I would take off and try to get him confused. So he, would, he wasn't going to be throwing it to second base. He's throwing it to the pitcher. Exactly. I got a five-step start on that guy. And then, and then you have the count on the pitcher turning and whirling and knowing where he was throwing. Yeah. The, the, the catcher uh, who, for the Giants right now, Buster Posey, the kid who... Incredible. Who will probably win Rookie of the Year? I would classify. He may win MVP as well. Who knows? Yeah. I would. I would classify him as I mean, again. Obviously, he's not fast, but he's a good base runner and he's a smart base runner, and he has the built-in advantage of being a catcher, so he knows what to look for. Absolutely. You know, the smart base running is even almost as good as being fast. Mm-hmm. If you look up your history book, Joe DiMaggio, for example, was never thrown out in his whole career, going from first to third. 
he knew exactly his speed, his limits, and when to go. Exactly. And there, there, there have been a lot of, I mean, Ricky, Ricky Henderson, for example. I mean, there are people yeah. who like him or not. I mean, you know, you well, can. Well, they knew he was going to run. Yeah, they knew he was going to run. There, there are time, early in his career, you know, when he, like the year he broke Lou Brock's record. Right. Um, now, now, granted, the A's were not having a good year that year, and so there, there are times when he was just running. It, it seemed like he was running for the sake of running because he, he wanted to pile up. Wanted his, to break the record. Exactly. Now, if you want to go back to the guy who did it right, Maury Wills stole 104 bases with a team that was only scoring one and two runs a game. Exactly. Or, and he would, he would do it to put himself in a position to score. Mm-hmm. Or um, say, uh, another player from that same era, Willie Mays from the San Francisco Giants. He was a guy who, if he wanted, he could have stolen 125 bases, or if he want, you know, but absolutely, I'll, absolutely. It was like when Mickey Mantle, when they asked him about the the, Ford, the first time that there was a 40-40, he said, "Hell, if I'd have known it was important, I would have done it." Exactly. Let's see. One of the heroes you mentioned in "I've Met All My Heroes from A to Z" is uh, Tommy Lasorda, the longtime manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I mentioned this a little bit before we started recording. As a 13-year-old San Francisco Giants fan in in 1977, I hated Tommy Lasorda because all his Dodger teams beat up on the Giants that, you know, in in the late 70s. They were supposed to. (laughs) You don't manage to lose. That's right. But as I got older, as I got older, I miss Tom Lasorda because he—I mean, he—he is—he is such a great ambassador uh, for the game of baseball, and right. we need—we need more of him right now. Well, we need—yeah, we need ambassadors for baseball, and we need baseball to come back to the people. We need baseball to come back to the people. By that I mean a family going to a ball game now, a family of four, you know, for the tickets, and I mean eight dollars for a bottle of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's unaffordable. Yeah. And that's not what the game is. You're talking 162 games. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see it go back to 154 games where they finish the World Series when it's still warm out. I, I, I agree. We're in October. We haven't even hit the, the World Series yet. You're listening to a conversation with actor Ron Masek that originally aired in October 2010. Ron Masek passed away this past Thursday, October 20th at the age of 86. See, I want to want to shift gears a little bit, Ron, because obviously I can easily spend the next half an hour talking about baseball with you. But while we're on the subject of the Los Angeles Dodgers, um, wait, wait, that's baseball. <laughs> <laughs> we're just shifting gears here. But you have you have you have a great you have a couple of great stories. Um, Cary Grant is one of the heroes you mentioned. Oh in, yeah, and I've met and and I've met all my heroes from A to Z, and you've got. You've got a couple of funny stories involving uh, Cary Grant and Mariano Duncan, who played shortstop for the Dodgers in the mid-1980s. Yeah, he was brand new. I used to spend a lot of time in Tommy's office before and after the game, and I was always privileged to see all these and know all these great stars. And one night, one night, Cary Grant came in with Frank Sinatra, who was a very, very dear friend of Tommy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Tommy said to Pete Guerrero, who came around the corner, he said, Go get Mariano. He said, I want him to meet these guys because Mariano was kind of new. So Mariano came in and he didn't recognize Frank Sinatra. So he kind of gives him a little shove and puts his arm around Cary Grant and says, I take picture with you. (laughs) How does does Sinatra react to that? He laughed. (laughs) He he laughed so hard. I mean, Frank had a great sense of humor. Yeah. And and he loved it. Yeah. And Cary Grant was a great, great baseball fan. Mm -hmm. He was there a lot. 
Yeah, I understand, and and from what you write about him, you confirm it. I mean, as big a star as he was, he seemed very self-effacing in real life. Sure, he knew who he was. And the great thing about the people that are successful, that, that they know who they are, mm-hmm. and they don't have to prove it to anybody. They don't have to tell anybody. You know, one of the stories in, in the book is uh, of General Schwarzkopf and I spending a lot of time together. And here, we, this was right after Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. This was John Wayne. This was the real-life John Wayne. He was bigger than life. And he had a barrel chest and a pigmeat hand, and, and yet he had a, he just did his job. He felt he did his job. He didn't, he didn't come home and say, look at me, I'm a hero. I did what I did. He did his job. And he, and he enjoyed doing what he was doing. He's a great, he's a great man. Listening to a conversation with actor Ron Masek that originally aired in October 2010. Ron Masek passed away Thursday, October 20th at the age of 86. We'll take a quick time out. We'll play more of our conversation with Ron. We come back on TV Confidential. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at tvconfidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.